Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. So happy you're here today. So thankful to see you. You've arrived at the right time. We're starting a new series this morning, uh, going through, believe it or not, the book of Habakkuk together. Uh, You may have never studied that book. I bet many of you have maybe read it in passing and thought, wow, what in the world was that? And uh, it's only three chapters, but it is, it is an amazing uh, story of really for us to look at and, and figure out what is it that God is telling me in it and how, how, how do I kind of get into the feet? Here's what I think you'll find. You'll get into the position of Habakkuk and, and know what he's saying and have a sense of what it means to pray like he's praying and, and, and speak to God as he's speaking to God. We've entitled this five-part series going through these three chapters. We've entitled it God Questions. God Questions, and the reason for that is primarily that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's got some tough questions, and you might look at some of these, even the ones we are going to go through today and go, I'm not sure I want to talk to God like that. That's risky. But what we actually see is this is the right way to approach God, and there's There's some hard questions out there that we ought to be talking to him about rather than just letting them float in doubt and frustration and suffer in vain without speaking to him on these issues. And so this is a wonderful thing we're going to spend time in today. Now Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets. And I got a feeling when we get there one day, he's going to be like, why would you call me minor, bro? Like, I, I don't know about that. The only reason that we call them major versus minor is simply based on the length of the, of the writings. It's not that what they're saying is less impactful. It's actually super important. It's just three chapters versus Isaiah and some of these other guys that have massive books from the Lord. And so that's where we're going to be today. You can pop up. I've got just a few images for you today. Just kind of get your head around this. These are the minor prophets versus the major prophets. They're all right there towards the end of your Old Testament in your Bible. Habakkuk's a sneaky one. You've got to hunt for him. If you've got your Bibles today, have fun. A little bit of Bible, uh, Bible drills, what we used to call it, like find the verse as fast as you can. You know, Habakkuk's a good one to, to try to hunt for, but... The pop up this next image. Here's where this is taking place. I like to just kind of give you the setting just so you kind of can think about this. Those, those of you in the room who have, are working through the Word of God and trying to understand it, based on the internal evidence of the Scripture, uh, this likely took place just a little after the death of King Josiah. He died somewhere around 609 B.C. and the beginning of the Babylonian captivity in 605 B.C. So it's written somewhere right in there, nestled in there where, where Habakkuk is asking some really difficult questions about what looks to be the end of the nation of Judah. Israel has already fallen at this point. The kingdom has been divided. Israel has already fallen to the Assyrians, now the Babylonians, and Habakkuk's got some hard questions, but not about outsiders. Actually, he has questions about what he's seeing in the streets, what he's seeing in his hometown, and that's really helpful, really helpful to us today. And so little is really known about this author apart from the fact that he's named Habakkuk, which Hebrew in Hebrew means embrace, and he's called a prophet in verse 1, as we're going to see today, and also in chapter 3, verse 1. In this little bitty book, we see him asking some really great questions, and some of these might really resound with you. Here's the one we're asking today. How long, O Lord? How long? 
How long before you save? How long before you hear me? How long before you move on what I'm asking? Some of you are asking this question right now. How much longer, Lord, before you get me through this terrible season? How much longer before you save my loved one? How much longer before this pain ends? Some of you are asking this question today. And that's one of many questions that Habakkuk is going to be asking. When, when will your salvation come? When will you do away with the evil I'm observing? God, where is your justice? Some great questions. So I, I hope you'll stick around for a couple of weeks with us as we, we really navigate these really important topics, these questions for God. Now, all of these questions lead to something that I have to admit is not a habit that I believe Christians in general or churches in general often express, not a discipline that we often speak to, and that's the discipline of lament. That's a word maybe you've heard. You've heard of the book of Lamentations? Read it sometime. <laughs> it's a lament, sure enough. It's, it's, it's depressing. It's tough. You know, Habakkuk's got a, an essence of that, that this is truly what you would call Habakkuk's lament at what he's seeing in Jerusalem. One writer says on this that a lament is a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion. That lament, hear this, lament should be the chief way that Christians process grief in God's presence. Because many Christians have grown up in churches that always look on the bright side, lament can be a little bit jarring. Lament may even seem unnecessary to you. And it's absolutely not. In fact, here's a crazy thought. The Psalms, a third of them are laments. There's a whole book about lament. We're going to study a book right now together that has a sense of lament. Job is a lament. It's coming before God with the pain and saying, rather than walk away from you in this moment, which is the temptation when sorrow hits, the temptation is, God, you're the worst. I'm walking away. The people in my life, I don't want to be around them. That's the temptation. But lament says, I'm going to take this pain. I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm hopeful that you're going to not only answer my questions, but you're going to give me peace. You're going to show me what I don't see because your ways, it shows trust that your ways are indeed above my ways. And I don't understand them all yet, but I'm going to trust you. This is a wonderful thing. Why does God, in fact, you might argue God wants us to lament based on what we see in Scripture because we're already, we already are dealing with pain and suffering. We're already dealing with difficulties in this life. That's just a fact, right? You haven't gotten here in these doors today and not dealt with some level of suffering. So what do you do with it? God says, here's a way to rightly handle your pain. Lay it at my feet. Let's talk about it. Come before me. Let's reason together, one Scripture says. Let's talk about this. This is a book I'm, I'm looking to read soon because this is, a, this is a subject I've never really dove into. There's a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by a pastor named Mark Vrogrop, but he really helped me this week. Um, I'm going to read this soon and let you know what I think. But anyway, he writes in that book, Lament is a divinely given liturgy for processing our pain so that we can rejoice Lament, then, is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It is not only how Christians grieve, it's the way Christians praise God through their sorrows. Lament, then, is a pathway to praise when life gets hard. To cry is, is, is human, but to lament is Christian. I love that last line. Look, we're great at crying. Even the men in the room, 
We came out with that ability. We, to cry is truly human. We come into the world ready to cry. I've seen four births. Them kids are ready to cry. In fact, that's something they need to get out of the child. It's part of the checklist. Like, let's make sure the lungs are clear. And you didn't have to teach not one of them how to do it. Not one of them. We come out knowing how to cry, leaving the warmth and the safety of our mother's womb. We enter wailing. And no one had to teach us that. But lament, that's something we have to learn. We're good at crying. We're not always so good at knowing who to cry to. We can be really good at crying to our spouses and to our kids even at times. But do we go to the one who can actually do something about it? Do we lament? That's where we're going to spend some time today. And I I really pray this motivates, encourages, challenges, pushes you. This is all based around the key verse. The key verse of the whole series we're going to do together is where Habakkuk eventually lands. And that is Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 where it says, The righteous shall live by his faith. That's the key under the doormat of this whole book. Habakkuk has all these questions and complaints, but just so you know, I'll give you a little bit of hint. In the end, he's going to land here that the righteous will live by faith. I don't have all the answers, but God does. I'm going to live by faith. That's where he's going to end. But I got it's not going to be that way today, all right? In chapter 1, he's not there yet, and that's where we're going to spend time. So do you have some questions for God today? Maybe write those down. If you've got your bulletin, maybe you've got some notes with you, start writing down right now, what are my questions for God? And have I even asked them yet? Maybe I've been internalizing these questions for a while. God, where are you? (laughs) Are you hearing me? Where were you when such and such passed? God, where, where were you in the hospital room? God, where were you last week when I got just reprimanded at work and I didn't deserve it? Where... Those are questions I wonder if you've asked God. Maybe there's some old ones in there, 10, 20 years old that you've been harboring. Go ahead and write those down. we got some questions for you today, Lord. And rather than harbor them, we're going to lament together. That's where we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk today. The, the prophet here is crying out his questions, his complaints to God, and believing, that's the key, believing that God's going to respond somehow. And that's what's unique about lament. We cry out in questions, and and we can do this too. We can cry out and believe that God is going to respond in the way that's best, not in the way we expect. How can we cry out? The text is going to give us three, basically, ways to lament today. Three cries to the Lord. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Let's spend some time there today. Here's what it says. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me, this was a wild question, why do you make me see iniquity and you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence, they're all before me. Strife and contention, they arise. So the law. God, the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. The Lord's answer, verse 5. Look among the nations and see. 
wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen, they come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces are forward. They gather captives like the sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth to take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, whose own might is their God. God bless the reading of his word, amen? Amen. That one's a hard one to amen. I'm not sure what to do with that yet, aren't you? Aren't you looking at that going on? Now I am truly scared to ask God questions. Let's look at his look at his response. Here's the first cry that we're really looking at this morning. The cry and believing that God will answer is this: cry out, believing that God will help. He will help. A couple of things we're going to look just at the first few verses to begin this this morning and. It starts with this word, an oracle, which is not a word we really use much. The word oracle in the Hebrew there is masah, which means burden, a load, a heavy lift. He says, here you go, Habakkuk, here's a heavy load to hold on to. Any of you in the room feel like you've got quite a burden on your back? Like you're the, you're the dump truck slam full of dirt. That's how Habakkuk's feeling today. This oracle, this burden is from the Lord. And here's where he begins. How long? I've been crying out. I've been reaching out. How long until you hear me? Now, does he think, based on the way that this conversation goes, I don't think it is that Habakkuk thinks God literally does not hear. That's not what I see. What I see is, God, at what point will you take what you're hearing from me and do something? Like, I'm sure you're listening, God. I believe that much. I'm your prophet. I'm your man. But do you see what's going on here, God? This is a mess. When are you going to do something? So how long before I see you move at all? He goes on to say, you're idle. Your law's being disrupted. It's being perverted. What are you going to do about it? He says, how long until you'll help? I'm crying out. This word help is the word shava, to cry out. It's really beautiful. This may not matter to too many of you, but I get, into the, I get into the words of things. I don't know why. It's just how God shaped me. But the Hebrew here is very pretty. He, he's literally saying, Shava, uh, help. Here's what he's saying. How long must I Shava before you Shama? How, much must, how long must I cry before you save? <laughs> how much must I cry before you hear? Shava to Shama. It's beautiful, beautiful Hebrew. And it's a lament that sounds too much like Job. It's, it, there's no doubt in my mind that whatever Habakkuk is feeling now is a similar feeling that Job must have felt. Listen to what Job says in Job 19.7. Behold, I cry out, violence, and I'm not answered. I call for help, and there's no justice. This is this, this type of lament where, God, I'm not sure what you're up to. I don't get it. 
lot of you are asking that question. My question to you is, who's hearing it? Who's hearing that question? I'm really good at asking my wife these kinds of questions. I don't know why I do this, because it never helps her. It never encourages her. Doubtful questions, like why in the world did God put us in Rocky Mount? Why did he do that? I wanted, And I've recently said this. I'm sorry, church, but recently I've said, why did God not let me be near water? Either, either water or mountains, either one. But I'm nowhere in, I'm in between in this mosquito-ridden mess. What is, why? These are doubtful questions that I take to her. Doubtful questions about my, my purpose and my calling. And I bring them to her. And you know what it does? It discourages her. No surprise. You know who's not discouraged by my, my doubtful questions? God. Because he knows what's coming. And he knows why I'm here. And he knows what I'm facing. And I bet at times he giggles about it. He's like, come on, boy. Go back and read about Paul. Go back and read about the disciples. Your lot's not too bad, my friend. I got a purpose for you. These are the kind of things when I think about the blessings of God, when I think about the saints of God, when I think about the people of God, it removes all that doubt. But those questions arise at times, and I like to spout them off to my mentors or to my spouse rather than where Habakkuk takes it, which is the right answer. God, where are you? Where are you at? What are you doing? Do you hear me? You know, God promises to help us. He promises that he hears us. You may be asking this question of God, and it may be taking some time. I think even in that is a practice of trust. Even in that, God has purpose. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 41. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We can pray with this kind of confidence in our time of need. God's not going to be you know, offended. This is the wonder of this God we serve. He's not like the people in your life. The people in your life that you can barely say anything to before they get their little feelings hurt. That's the, that's the world we live in. Everybody's super offended. But God's not offended by your little question. He's like, yeah, yeah I figured you'd be thinking that way. Uh, but, but you don't see the whole picture. You don't even see even a small snippet of it. Just hang in there, my, my young boy, my, my, my young daughter. I got you. This is pray with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's there. He's listening. His timing, it's coming. He has a purpose, even in your madness, even in death, even in suffering, even in pain. There is a purpose. He is hearing. So the practice then, this is a, this is a deep thought. The practice, I think, moves us into a posture of trust that moves us to peace, okay? That just, just the posture alone begins to bring peace. Follow me for just a moment. The cry for God's help isn't merely helpful when he answers. The cry for God's help begins helping us the moment we lay it at his feet. I think Habakkuk felt relief. I know I feel relief when I simply pose the question. Because then here's what's happening. I'm putting it in the hands of somebody who I know can do something about it. Now, I don't know when he will. I don't know if he will. 
But that step begins the process of trust and peace for me. This is, why, this is why people all over the nation are going to see great counselors. It's because not because these people have all the answers. They absolutely don't. They go to people who are good counselors because they feel like they're being heard. That's the best thing you can do if you're ever counseling someone. Is Do they know that you're listening? If they can perceive this person truly hears me, they're going to want to come back. They're going to want to keep speaking to you. You don't have to be a... A paid professional to do that. That's because humans, we've been shaped this way. We want to be heard. Children are this way. Good parents, when they hear their kids cry for help, they know they're going to act in the way that is best for those kids. Our kids cry out for help sometimes, and they want something or they need something that they, they think is the right thing, but they're not always right about this. And so a good parent already knows what to give, what they should have, and what to say no to. We know what's best. Our our Heavenly Father is perfect. He's perfect in His awareness of this. So our cries, church, our cries are as if we're His kids for His help. And the cry begins the process of peace. You believe that? You believe that today? It's already moving in me just to say, you know what, God? I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're doing. But I'm thankful to just be able to first lay it there. Because you say in your word, God, you're going to be there. You're going to help. You you say, seek me first. Seek my kingdom. Seek me and I'm not far. I'm near. You say these things. Help me to believe them. Watch and see God move. Watch and see something change in you. And it's not that God's not going to move. I'm just saying the, the, the very first step is already helpful. That you can come believing God is in there. He's up there listening. So stop bottling up your complaints and your questions and medicating your pain. Whatever it is you're doing with that pain, giving it to others, trying to bottle it, trying to medicate it, that stuff's not working. You know it's not. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. And here's the second. Cry out, believing that God will save Do you believe it? Do you believe that you serve a God who will help? That you serve a God who will save? Now, I'll say personally, the second point is even easier for me to believe. And the reason is he's already done it. And so I know if he's a God who's already done saving, he'll do it again. In fact, I would argue because of the type of salvation he's already done, the rest of it seems pretty light work for him. Because we serve a God who sent his son Jesus to take on the cross and die for our sins, something we could do nothing about, because he already did that, I have less trouble trusting him in this department. Did you, did you know God will save? He's, what he did in the past, he's not done. Did you know that? He's not done there. Habakkuk is praying on the other side of the cross. He doesn't know yet all of the things of God that will come. So he's praying violence will you not save and he's praying something else that i really like i find it very helpful because i feel like habakkuk at times look at verse three he says why do you make me see it can i not just be oblivious to this wouldn't it be nice god if you would shut my eyes to the sins of the world to the mess that's going on around me why do i have to know about it and when i'm looking at it because i can't see you moving god it seems like you're idle Now, if this doesn't sound, 
If this doesn't sound like your current world, I don't know really what does. It's amazing to me how I can go back and read something thousands of years old and go, you know what, this stuff is still true. This battle is still real. That there are times where it seems like violence goes unchecked. I like verse 4. He says, look, the people are so bad that your law is paralyzed. I'm not saying your law is bad. I'm saying they're so bad that it doesn't work. This word paralyzed here is a fascinating word. It's this idea of being made numb, to being made humble, to being made powerless. Wow. That sounds so much like today. There's laws. There's good laws on the books. But you know what? Laws are only as good as the people who follow them. They're only as good as the people who enforce them. Guess what? We're never going to have a perfect nation on this side of heaven. We will not. Do you know why? Because we need a sinless Savior to rule. And he's not here yet to do that. He's coming. We can't do it as human beings. We might, be the, we might have the most flawless-looking politician, and those don't exist, but if there were such a thing, the people still wouldn't follow the laws according to their purpose. The law is paralyzed. He said, you know, I, I know the law is good, but look, the justice never goes forth. True justice never goes forth, and guess when it does go forth? It goes forth perverted. Y'all feel like the law is being executed with perversion? I do. It looks kind of obvious to me, and it's been this way. It's not nothing new. So God, what are you doing? When will you save? What will you do? Habakkuk's here crying out for his people. God, how much will you allow this? Now, this, that's what's so fascinating about this section of Scripture. He's not praying about the Babylonians. He's not praying about the Assyrians. He's praying about his people in his town and going, look at this. Look how, pe- how far your people have fallen. This would be like me praying for the people in the church. It's not just, I'm not just praying for Rocky Mountain. I'm looking inside the walls going, wow, this is horrible. God, what will you do? This word violence appears here in verse 2, verse 3, and verse 9. I learned something this week. That word violence in the Hebrew is the word Hamas. Y'all ever heard that word? That was a surprise to me. <laughs> To stumble on that, the word Hamas means violence, wrong, cruelty, injustice. We know what that word has been come to know now. And ironically, in Arabic, it means passion or zeal. This is, there's a competing view on what that really is about, right? There's, there's a lot of violence, though. There's no doubt about it. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of cruelty. Their name's pretty appropriate. He says, when will you save when will you save us from this? When will you come in? When will, he doesn't yet see the Savior. So he's praying this lament. Habakkuk sounds so much like David. David in Psalm 69 says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. Save me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies, from these deep waters. This is what's going on in our world. This is what I find fascinating about Habakkuk. That was kind of a check on myself that we should, as the people of God, be praying for the world around us. We should be lamenting. Now, I've, I've been kind of an isolationist in the way I think. I just keep me out of it. I don't want to know more. I don't need to know more. But that does not seem to be the approach here of the prophet doesn't seem to be the approach of the people of God. They're saying instead, let me pray. Let me diligently ask, God, what will you do? How will you save? And the world is in complete disarray right now. Complete chaos. I'll give you just a few examples if you haven't heard. I bet you have. 
Our missionaries right now, we have some missionaries from our church that are in Istanbul. And they were contacted recently by the Turkish police after a masked gunman claiming to be a member of ISIS entered a Catholic church recently and shot several, killing one man. Many churches have now stopped meeting since that event has taken place. Most of the synagogues in Turkey have now closed because of the Israel-Hamas war. Three U.S. soldiers just recently were killed, 30 more service members injured in a drone attack in a small outpost in Jordan, making it the first time that U.S. troops have been killed by enemy fire in the Middle East since the beginning of the Gaza War. A U.S. destroyer just last week shot down this Houthi anti-ship ballistic missile and three drones. It followed a close call with a warship that was targeted by an Iran-backed group in the Red Sea. Look, the, these are three of the thousand things I could probably report on. It's not that you have to care about every single one of these things, but what would it look like to have a heart that lifts these things up, that cries out? When I see, when I see danger in my streets, when I see pain in, in, in my world, do I just turn a blind eye? No. These, these men lament. The saints of old lament. God, what will you do? How will you save your people? We could be praying right here for Rocky Mount. Boy, we got a lot going on. There's plenty of chaos right here in our hometown and surrounding neighborhoods. Cry out for God's salvation for our world today. And here's the third cry. Cry out believing that God will bring justice. He will help. He will save. He will bring justice. Now, this is where verse 5 and on come into play and shock Habakkuk. I mean, they just shock him. And they should shock you. Here, here Habakkuk is praying for destruction and the paralyzation of the law and the perversion of the justice. And, and God shows up in verse 5 with this word, look. Twice he says it, in fact. He says, verse 5, look. Verse 6, behold. He says, hey, you're looking in the wrong spot, Habakkuk. Check out what I'm up to. Check, up, check out where I'm stirring. And we're going to see you. We're going to see his response together next week because it doesn't make a lot of sense what God's doing right here. Y'all ever ask God a question and he does in fact respond and it's totally not what you expected? In fact, you might not even like it. His response makes you go, ew, why? Why are you doing it that way? Why not, God, why not show up in Israel today and, and, and make revival happen? Look, here's what's just happened, church. This is what's so sad about it. Under King Josiah, they had a great revival. They started tearing down the idols and started worshiping God. They started having, having prayer in schools again, if you will. They started really getting after it. And then the moment this man dies, it just falls to, to trash. Like he was the only thing. This one good king was holding them together. And Habakkuk's thinking, hey, when's the next revival? Hey, God, when are you going to show up? How about this, God? Go ahead and show up with your Messiah right now, right here. And set these people straight. God's response. Oh, Habakkuk definitely couldn't have seen it. He, he shows up saying, hey, you're going to wonder. You're going to be astounded. I'm doing a work you definitely would not expect. I'm bringing in foreign invaders. Wow. Wow, God. You're bringing justice. And here's what Habakkuk can't see. is that God is wielding a, 
a tool here that the tool itself's not good. But the people he's judging, he's been meaning to judge. This boy, this is troubling thought. Here you go, church. Here you go. The Assyrians, he's already said, a prophecy for them. They got it coming. They've been, they've been awful. They've been treating the people of God terrible. They've been scoffing at the name of God. I've got, I've got, word, I've got words with them. Who am I sending? The Babylonians. They're going to take the Assyrians out. Guess who else they're going to take out? We're going to see. They're going to fight Pharaoh out of Egypt, whose power is not what it once was, but they're still a very powerful a very powerful force. And for whatever reason, the Egyptians side with the Assyrians. And there's this big battle at Carchemish with this pharaoh named Pharaoh Necho and this king that you may know of from Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar. There's this massive battle at Carchemish, and the Babylonians win, taking out the Assyrians and the Egyptians, changing the power in the Middle East, but also answering some ancient prophecies from God that these nations will be judged. And guess who else needs judgment? The very people of God who set, at this point, they're, set, they're setting in comfort thinking we're okay. We're on this high hill in Jerusalem with these wonderful walls. We can't be stopped. Our water comes in through, the, through an underground canal. They can't even shut our water down. What will they do? All of their hope, all of their, all of their encouragement isn't in the Lord. It's in their stuff. It's in human things, and they believe themselves powerful, and they believe themselves untouchable. And yet, here's the word of God to Habakkuk. I'm sending horses from a long ways off. In fact, he wasn't kidding about that. Verse 8, you may have read that and just thought nothing of it. He says, the horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. Just so you know, you can pop up this image for me, this, this map. Um, just so you know, look kind of over here towards the right. You'll see Babylonia, hopefully, if your eyes are good. Over here to the right in this area called Chaldees or Chaldeans there. That's where they're coming from, the Babylonian area. And they can't cross through the Arabian desert. That's a good way to die. Uh, no one's crossing that desert, even really today. Nothing's much changed. So they've got to come up through the Fertile Crescent. The Tigris and the Euphrates run up through Turkey, modern-day Turkey. So that's where they're heading. Then over towards the Mediterranean Sea where they will fight this massive battle in Carchemish against the Assyrians and against the Egyptians. And while all that's happening, Judah thinks itself safe. It, at this point, is 938 miles away from Judah. That is a long ways. There's no way anybody in town was thinking, yeah, I bet those Chaldeans, those Babylonians are going to come get us. <laughs> Why would they be over here? And yet, 605 B.C., really a part of their own fault, they kind of challenge. Josiah dies, this good king, he dies fighting Pharaoh Necho as he's coming up. He fights him out in this battle in a place called Megiddo. It's amazing. You can go to Second Chronicles and see this. The Pharaoh even says, hey, I've been sent by God to go fight in Assyria. Okay, deal with that however you want. But Josiah comes out to fight him anyways and dies in that battle. And then right after that, they start challenging the Babylonians, even though they have no business. They may have even been left alone. Look at their pride. Look at their, look at their approach. It causes them to have all of these things happen, which God has prophesied. Now, this is really troubling text, isn't it? It's okay. Again, we can ask God this question, too. 
hey, God, what in the world? Why would you do it this way? Why would you come bringing violence? They pile up might. It says in verse 11 that might is their God. Their God is not the God of, of God. In fact, we'll learn later the Babylonians, their main God is this goofball named Marduk. He's no God at all. It's not even a good name, Marduk. Ew. But here, you know what their true God is? It's their power. We believe in the power strength. We believe in our war. We believe in our violence. We believe in our power. These people still exist today. Believe in my muscles and what I can do. Fascinating. That Jesus' ultimate answer to this, though, his ultimate answer into bringing justice forth, it's confusing here. It's going to get less confusing, church. Just, just know this. As we go through the rest of this text today, I'm kind of leaving you with a cliffhanger. But we're not in a cliffhanger when it comes to faith. We're not in a cliffhanger when it comes to how God has brought justice now, how he has saved now. Jesus is, 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 is the ultimate answer to this one who will bring justice. The, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Look how he'll do it. Look at this. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. This is how Christ did it. Not making big waves. Not, not rising to some throne or some, some powerful place. At least not on this side of heaven. Now God says he's been given the name above all names. A throne above all thrones. But the way in which he does it is by the cross, and by his death, and by his sacrifice. And that's the justice he's brought in your life. This is why you can approach the throne of God with these questions and do them without fear. Because you have no right to the throne of God. You have no right to come before him questioning him. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ in your life poured out for you, saving you, you can approach like a kid. And if you have a good dad, you have a good mom, you know you can call them up. You know you can walk right in and say, hey, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I need help. Hey, God, I know I probably shouldn't say this, but what in the world are you doing? Help me. And he receives that because of the justice brought by his son. Luke chapter 18, in fact, says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He will bring justice. Now, some of you need to hear this final story, this last little snippet I want to give you. This is out of the book of Luke, just before the passage I just read. Luke chapter 18. It's a parable called the parable of the per persistent widow. And there's a few of you in the room that this will encourage. I pray it will encourage. Jesus tells this parable in verse 1 to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, 
though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat down, beat me down by her continual coming. Now, some of you would say it sounds, she sounds kind of like a nag, right? But God puts this in an interesting perspective. He paints her as being the picture of what right looks like when we approach God. Because he goes on and says the very things we just read, that God will bring justice to his chosen ones. God isn't like this wicked man. He isn't like this wicked judge. But you may feel like at times he's not listening. I don't see him moving. He says he'll work swiftly. I'm not seeing it. Use this as a model for yourself. I'm just going to persist. I'm going to keep laying this at the feet of Jesus. And he's going to do one of two things. I promise you this, church. He's going to do one of two things. He's either going to change your circumstances or he's going to change your heart. I'll take either. He's either going to fix what I see is broken or he's going to reshape the way I think because my perspective isn't godly. Because my perspective isn't his and I need it reshaped. He's probably going to do both. And the first one he's going to do in a way I didn't expect. He's going to bring justice. Habakkuk, he didn't have the rest of the story, church. He doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't see yet the story of salvation. He's praying these things in the absence of what we know. I'm asking you this, church. Who are you bringing your questions to? Where are you bringing your pain? We're all experiencing it on different levels. Where are you taking it? Are you laying it at the feet of Christ, knowing he will help, he will save, and he will bring justice? It may not look like what you expect, but he has a bigger purpose in this than you can see. Let's pray now together, church. Heavenly Father, this, this, takes, um, this takes us coming to you first with a sense that we are small, that we are not God and you are. And maybe that's a struggle for some of us in the room. To come to this awareness that we're not in charge. To come to this awareness that we're just a part of the plan of the kingdom of God in this world. And we're not our own gods. And I guess in my heart, Lord, I am thankful for that because I'm a mess. My thoughts are not always very wise. My actions are certainly not. I struggle with so many things that you don't struggle with, God. But I have to admit something to you, Lord. There are times in my life where I can't see what you're doing, where I can't seem to get my head around what you're up to. Personally, Lord, I, there, there are times where I look at at where you've taken me in this place, in this church, and the calling that you put on my life. And I ask a dumb question. But it's a question I need to ask, Lord, is why me? Why me? And God, I know, I know you're responding in that. You're, you're answering that. I, I pray for your people, Lord. I, I pray there's, there's, there's your people in this, in this room right now, Lord. Some of them are struggling with incredible pain. Pain of loss. Pain of hurt. Maybe they're personally in, in sickness. Maybe, maybe there's been some awful things happening at work. Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe things are just rocky at home. Maybe this kid just 
has completely shunned them, shunned the faith. There, there's so many things that we could be in pain right now. Lord, we lay those now at your feet. Church, do this in this moment. Why wait? Take a moment and lay those complaints, lay those questions at his feet. Hey, God, you gave me this child. And I didn't do everything perfect, Lord, but why are they running from you? God, what will you do? How will you save? What can I do, God? Help me to understand my place in it. How do I reach my son? How do I reach my daughter? God, why did you take that person from my life? What are you doing? How can I, how can I possibly praise you in that? Lay that at his feet. He's either going to change my circumstances or change my heart. I pray for both, but especially the second. God, would you stir in my heart and help me to see as you see? I don't get it. I don't understand it. God, why did I just get fired from work? Why did that person just get promoted? They're awful. Do you not know them, God? They're a backstabber. They're a kiss-up. They're the worst. <laughs> well, God, maybe first of all, help me to love that person. I don't know how to love them. <laughs> but beyond that, where's the fairness in this? What are you doing in my life? Oh, those, lay those questions, church. Lay them at his feet. Begin that process now. God, would you do something in us in that? Begin to give us a posture of trust. Help us to experience peace just in finally airing that out. That we've been needing to confess some pain to you and just air that out for a while. We've been holding that stuff. been holding that hostage for a while rather than lay it at your feet, God. I pray your peace would already begin. A peace that surpasses understanding is what you promise. God, would you move in our lives? I pray that we would be the kind of church, Lord, that surprisingly that laments well. That we know how to rejoice in pain. That that would be attractive to a fallen world. That would be attractive to a people who are in great pain, but don't know where to go with it. That we would have that answer, that it's... I don't know all of the answers, but I know this much. I know the Lord saves. I know he's here to help. I know he's called, he, he says he'll bring justice. And he's already saved me and he loves me. And I know he's going to be doing something in my life that gives me peace and joy. And I may not get it for a long time. I may be in glory one day and finally get it. But Lord, I trust you. God, would you stir in our lives? Help us to be that kind of church that has a true answer to a true problem. Lord, we love you. Guide our steps. Help us to be people who speak to you. That the greatest piece of lament is that we're not walking away from you, but walking towards you. God, would you show up in a powerful way with your people this week that have difficult questions? I pray they would get a response, that, they, that it would grant them great peace. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.